You know, the NFL had the chance to do the right thing. I believe that the NFL was going to be on the right side of history for the first time ever. Fortunately, the NFL did what the NFL does. The impact that they've had on Toronto FC, it, it's undeniable. I understand that you have to defend your quarterback. I understand that you just can't come out and, you know, say, well, you know, we don't want Deshaun anyways. I understand. I get it. I have to do this because I have to appreciate it. Yes, and we're back. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Race Sports Ramp Part 2 on this Monday night here for the Dean Blundell Network over at DeanBlundell.com. Find all your great sports content at DeanBlundell.com. And hey, hit that like button and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. If you're listening to the audio podcast, I appreciate you. If you're all looking for it, find it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, DeanBlundell.com, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, just had a wicked interview with Ashley Stewart. Talked a little bit of Maple Leafs, a little bit of Blue Jays. Talked about hockey in Scotland. She's a fucking treasure. I'll tell you that much. And uh, she's fucking awesome. If you like her hockey content, go check her out there. But right now, we are going to talk a little bit of basketball because basketball's back. Like I said, it's such a great time to be a sports fan right now. The Bills won this weekend. That's for you guys, not for me. The Leafs are back. The Raptors are back. The Blue Jays are in the postseason. Canada's going to the World Cup. Oh, Canadian sports usually suck. This is awesome. But ladies and gentlemen, today we're going to have my boy Adam Armbright. Armbright. I always screw up his last name because I'm an asshole. Adam Armbright. Uh, you can find him on a whole bunch of different places. The One Giant Podcast. You can find him on the Locked on Nets podcast. You can also find his new podcast, Adam Up Podcast. You can find him on the Dean Blundell Network. He's all over the place. Follow him on Twitter at Adam Armbreak. Uh, you'll see it on our Twitter page on Dean Blundell Net. Ladies and gentlemen, let's bring him in because it's showtime. There you go. Adam, how are you, buddy? Heck of an introduction there, man. I mean, listen, say my name right, say it wrong. It's all relative. The bottom line is I'm here. I'm happy to be a part of it. In your Brooklyn hat. Yeah, listen, bottom line. <laughs> you know what I mean? Bottom line, listen, guys, I'm going to talk to you about the Toronto Raptors. I'm going to talk to you about the NBA at large, and you're going to know that I'm a Brooklyn Nets fan. Let me start with that, maybe. It wasn't a part of our original prep, but I saw a tweet today that said, there is no fan base more invested into a preseason game than Brooklyn Net fans right now. Why is that, Adam? That is, that is probably correct. Uh, first time we're going to get to see Ben Simmons on the floor officially as a Brooklyn Net. Came over in the trade last year with the Philadelphia 76ers. Never stepped on the court. Kevin Durant, trade request in the offseason. The organization stands pat. They keep him. One-year buy-in, opt-in option for Kyrie Irving. So this is... It's the resetting of a timeline that we thought was going to be filled with championships over the last few seasons. Instead, this feels like a real opportunity to actually become a dominant team in the Eastern Conference. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, well, people in Toronto don't want to hear that right now, but it's okay. It's okay. You're not Toronto in Toronto. things to be excited about too, man. They got some <laughs> things to be excited about. Well, let's talk about it because they were back yesterday. Uh, right. I think the I think the starters played like four minutes. It was fantastic. 
Uh, Scotty Barnes got a little bit more time. Pascal Trent Jr. was out there. I think Fred Van Vliet was out there for about like a 30-second stretch before they were like, okay, your day is done. Did you get a chance to see any of the game, any of the highlights, anything of that nature? Yeah, I mean, I took a look a little bit of it. I want to make sure that I maybe I had this incorrectly. I thought that uh, we had a, f- a few more minutes there from uh, some of the starters in this particular matchup. If I was looking at it uh, excitedly as I was, we got them against Utah there in that 114-82 win to open up their preseason. And by the box score, Ray, I'm not here to call you out in front of the entire yeah, nation. You are. Of yeah, Canada. you are. It's okay. Uh, however... You did have over on the Toronto side. Siakam gave you 16, and Anobi gave you 15, 18 for Barnes, Van Fleet on 10, and Trent Jr. on 18 before you get into the bench units there. So there were some good things. Um, I, I Listen, I did not catch the entire game. However, in watching about 15 minutes of you know condensed highlights, there's a lot to like there. I, I have, you know, to me, most of the questions for the Toronto Raptors are about who's coming off the bench, where are the rotations, right? Who's going to fill in some of these key roles for them? But at a high level, I like what I see from all the starters. We know that that Scotty Barnes is set to take that next step. I think OG needs to get a little bit more on ball, better ball handling from him. And then just at a high level, um, communication defensively. You, you know, they have length on this team, but there were a lot of instances where you saw some easy cuts, some easy backdoor feeds for Utah, and it just felt like you have the length. Don't don't rest on that. And listen one preseason game, but don't rest on that, right? High level of communication, make sure you're in your right spots so that you're using some of your best attributes to your advantage defensively. So let's talk about this for a second here, going back to like talking about preseason, because I'm somebody, it doesn't matter which sport it is, hates the preseason, right? Like I I don't like preseason football and I know NFL fans get all jacked up for that. I really don't care about the fourth string. I watch every second of NFL preseason. I I know you do. I know you do. I I watch it too because I have to. I don't care. It's like I've been watching preseason hockey. I don't care. I watched the Leafs B squad the other night and then, okay, I was being facetious when I said they played about 30 seconds, but seeing Fred Van V played 10 minutes of a a ball game is not exciting basketball in my mind, you know? Um, I remember saying to my, I texted my buddy at one point, both teams defensively, and I said, this reminds me of a Harlem Globetrotters game right now or an all-star game. You know, like there wasn't a lot of contact, but there was one thing that I noticed, and it happened on, I think, about five separate plays, a couple while the starters were out there, and it was actually Scotty Barnes and Trent Jr. who were guilty of it a couple times. They got out muscled in the paint a little bit, and I didn't like that, and they gave up some some loose balls. And I just feel like if you play a team like Brooklyn, they're going to destroy you if you're if you're giving up loose balls, you know, in the in the opposing zone. Is that just you know first real game? Is that something because that's not really a Raptors thing? Is that just like let's not worry about that yet? It's preseason. Yeah, I mean, listen, the reason preseason is good for a lot of things, getting a taste of 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 how a team is going to run their offense. You're not going to get the full game script, but you have a sense of it. Now, Toronto, when we're talking about being underneath Nick Nurse, we know what the principles are of, of this team on both ends of the floor. So you mentioned Brooklyn or teams that have a lot of new players coming in. There's going to be something that's going to change or, or shift a little bit there. You're not going to get the level of physicality you're going to get in the regular season, obviously. Um, it is some players, especially starters, that don't have anything to prove going through a bit of the motions. But Toronto as a team, you know, they're not they're not a physically imposing team. They're a team that's well-constructed, again, with that length and some of the versatility that they have throughout their roster. So, you know, are, are they going to get beat up at times and lose some scrappy balls? Sure. And also, nobody is going down to the floor, you know, scrapping, throwing a couple of bows, trying to get a loose one. You're going to let that go by the wayside and just understand, hey, 
real game time, right? Game number four, five, 12 of the season. You better believe Nick Nurse is going to be a little unhappy if he sees someone like Scotty Barnes just kind of losing a soft rebound under the basket. So I'm going to give you a quote from Nick Nurse, and this wasn't after the preseason game, but this was actually after they, they were in Victoria in British Columbia and they had a scrimmage against each other. And we all know right now with the Raptors, the Raptors bench is pretty much set. Like from a roster standpoint, there's maybe one or two places available. And I think as, you know, I think as a basketball team and as fans, we kind of take that for granted a little bit here in Toronto and, and real, I don't realize there's other teams out there that are like, they got seven spots that people are battling for in some areas and an entire bench and others. But here's my concern. So Nick, Nick Nurse wrote this, not a great night from an evaluation standpoint. Nobody did a whole lot to wow us. Uh, and then he said, you can make the case for almost anybody right now. And to me, we're starting to get into the worst of the worst, right? When nobody's wowing and it's like, you can make a case for anybody, which means not that everybody played spectacular and nobody stood out. It was just like, <laughs> right. it wasn't great. And then I'm looking at guys like DJ Wilson who, you know, has had a rotation spot, but the Raptors brought that young back. They brought Chris Boucher back. So they're probably going to push him out of that rotation. Um, what are some of the, the battles that we should be watching for in preseason right now when we're looking at the Raptors bench and those sort of final roster spots? Yeah, one of the guys that, I mean, there's a few of them here. You mentioned Wilson, and I you caught him. He kind of came in a little bit later into that rotation there in that game. So to your point, I mean, listen, preseason is about kind of opening it up for everybody that's going to be coming in after the starters and saying we can have some fluidity here, right? We can have some flexibility, um, you know, Otto Porter jr. And you got uh, Ken Burch day to day as a start of the preseason, the guys that I looked at though, and I had the stat lines up um, for a couple of them specifically, because a guy like Malachi Flynn, who on paper is going to be an important player for this team. Like he needs to be an important player for this team. And he had a nice little game for himself, but you go back and look at his stat lines coming out from 2021 and then into last season. He saw, even though his field goal percentage went up, the three-point shooting hasn't been good enough. The free throw shooting has been absolutely terrible. He's 6'1". He's undersized. In theory, he's the guy that steps in for Fred Van Fleet to spell him. He's the guy that takes the ball and helps be the facilitator and run the offense. He needs to have a strong preseason. So when you talk about Nick Nurse not being wowed by anybody, yes, there are these, these marginal roles we're talking about. But it, it's important that you hear your head coach probably say, really liked the way Malachi Flynn stepped up and took control of the offense with the second unit, with a lot of different players coming in and out. He had, I think, some nice three-point shots there. The percentages were good in the first preseason game. But you have to watch for him because he went from two years ago being a guy, hey, watch them develop this kid. And we know they love little tiny guards in Toronto, right? And then last season, it was not the same components that you thought you were going to get from him. So he's a guy that I'm watching. I have some other ones, too. Um, when we talk about a player that got brought over last year in Precious Achua. And then even um, one other guy uh, that I think, in theory, could be an interesting player that gets into that backcourt rotation as well. So when you're – I'm sorry here. I'm just pulling something up as we go because I'm trying to pull because I was really – impressed with with uh pascal yesterday and i'm also a siakam nerd so i'm gonna just and you know my daughter met spicy p two years ago and i have never met a gentleman like i've met pascal so you want to talk about a guy who has all the time in the world for fans you know because i think that like honest to god i actually put him at the the same level as um uh, the same level 
I apologize. Mother I'm, Teresa, Mahatma Gandhi. No, 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 no. no. Steph no, Curry. No, Steph Curry. Steph, Steph Curry, yes. Curry to me has always been that superstar who makes time for the fans, right? Mm. Like he's never let that superstar him. And I got to give Pascal his props for that. He was shooting last night and I'm trying to find his box score. There we go. <laughs> I was trying to find his box score before I speak out loud, but just based on the eye test, forget the, the things right now. He was making it look easy last night, and it's not always easy for Pascal Siakam. They don't always just fall. How important is it going to be? I know last week we talked about is he underrated? Is he this? See that? Blah blah. blah. You know, we 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 really gunned him up, but he needs to be a high percentage shooter, does he not? Like he needs to be a guy that's able to because he's probably the guy that you're going to put the ball in his hands when it comes down to it, right? Him or him or Scotty Barnes, but Scotty's the young guy. Yeah, it's interesting. And he did. Some of the best players in the league and the guys that are in that upper echelon, um, a lot of times you see where it looks like they're almost moving a half step slower than a lot of people, but they're but they're still blowing by guys, right? And I saw a bit of that in that preseason game where Pascal Siakam, that little bit of that Euro, that pseudo Euro step that he uses to get to the basket. You see this with Kevin Durant. You see this with Luka out in Dallas, right? Like the, the, the best of the best play like this. So yes, he needs to be at his absolute best. That, that should go without saying. He's entering what is considered to be those prime two, three, four years of your NBA career when you're at your peak of your powers. But I actually, so yes, he needs to be consistent and play at a high level. But I think from a Toronto perspective, because we did talk about this last week, Scotty Barnes needs to take over here. Scotty Barnes needs to start to become the guy that you want the ball in the hands to close out late. It's not taking away from what fan, uh, Fred Van Fleet can do for you. It's not taking away from OG, not taking away from Siakam. But if Scotty Barnes, fourth overall in the NBA draft, if he is going to be the steal for the Toronto Raptors and they're going to take that next leap, especially this season, then it needs to start becoming that Scotty Barnes takes over games and you defer to him. And then everybody else, by the way, ends up getting to succeed off of him because now Siakam is not the first weapon that gets taken away. It may take the first three weeks, first month, two months of the season for teams to start to respect the fact, hey, Scotty can go ahead and beat us. We cannot double up and try to get that ball out of Siakam's hands. So one guy that I really want to talk about now is we're, we're talking about battles a little bit because – I think if you talk to a lot of Toronto fans, Gary Trent Jr., he's a lock to be a part of that starting rotation. I don't see him that way. I mean, I think that if somebody else were to really push, you know what I mean, push the envelope on him, um, and the same with OG a little bit. And I know OG last year was was a little upset by his playing time, but he was also coming off his injury. And I think Nick Nurse was doing a little bit of, of load management with him. But but looking specifically at, at Gary Trent Jr. had a good game, by the way. It's like 60% from the floor, 66 from the three-point line. I mean, that's what you want to see out of him. But what do you think of Gary uh, of, of Trent Jr. as a player and how he contributes specifically to this Raptors team? I see. I like him. Like I like him as a player. I think the thing that you look at Toronto is, is ball handling and you need, you need as much of that as possible. And it's funny because I, I think the Trent Jr. is in the rotation. I think that he will be the starter. I, I think that your, your ideal lineup is sitting right there in front of you, right? With Scotty and OG and Siakam. Um, and then you're going to look at that fifth spot as being a little bit flexible as far as situational basketball, but name whoever you want to throw out there, right? It can be Birch. It can be Boucher. It could be the guy I also want to talk about. Um, who I think won't be starting for you, but gosh darn it, Precious Achua, man. You can call that a steal. With what he was in Miami versus what they turned him into in one season in Toronto, it's night and day. I want to get to him. But Trent Jr. isn't a superstar, right? He's a, he's a player. 
it's good because he has size, so that makes a difference in your backcourt tandem with Van Fleet, and then you talk about Malachi Flynn. But if you want to talk about a guy that can push for minutes and can start to carve out a role for himself, Banton is the guy that I really like because he's six foot seven, but he's listed as a guard. He has ball handling skills. There's areas of his game like the outside shooting, the free throw shooting. None of that is good enough at this point. But he's good. In, he's great in transition. He's a good facilitator. He passes well, and he has size. Like I look at it as the Toronto Raptors have always had these tiny backcourts, right? Going back to Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan playing up at the forward position, but that tandem working together. Then you get into these Van Fleets, and now you have Malachi Flynn. Just because they've been doing it doesn't mean that that's the best version of what they like to do. And you talk about a guy like OG who has his injury concerns. You talk about Van Fleet who has injury concerns. I think getting this next body with some ambiguity about whether or not Malachi Flynn is ready for that consistently large role. That's where I find a guy like Banton really interesting to say, if we get him in the mix, now we're running four guys that, that, <laughs> that are bottoming out at six foot seven, the length is there and you create real problems from a matchup standpoint. So I'm not arguing with you. I'm just going to give you my opinion on Banton because it's, it's and by sort the way, of, been... he's young still, he's still developing. Yes. So this is not, He's there now today, right? Yes. It, it's been my take for a while. And number one, he's got some of the stupidest hair in the NBA. That's the first one. I hate his hair. Doesn't help you. Hate his hair. But number two, I've actually wanted him to go down and do a season with the 905 this year. You know what I mean? Or half a season 905. Become a consistent starter down there. Get the minutes. You know what I mean? Like put in the solid minutes. Because I do think – I I it's funny – a friend of I and I were talking the other day, and he said, "What do you think of Banton?" And I, the old, I said, "He's great in transition," and that's the only thing I said about him. I'm like, besides that, I don't want him to touch the ball. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, besides that, I think he's a liability defensively at times. You know what I mean? Like, I think he can get lost on the court, and I think that he still has a little bit of of growing up to do before he's really going to make a big impact on the team. But I totally get where you're coming from that because I do look at the guys like Chris Boucher. I look at Thad Young. I look at some of these guys who I don't hate them. You know what I mean? But it's like, I don't see them as, as the long-term solutions for this team either. You know, and, that, and that's a part of it too. Right. And we talked about this last time where, you know, Toronto is always in an evaluation process because it's not, well, we have superstar X and then superstar Y. And then we add the pieces around them. They're always trying to get guys to take that next developmental leap where you feel like you're catching a window on the rising side. And that's it's why you mentioned a guy like Banton. And, and to tie it back into Gary, Gary Trent Jr., why I bring him up, it's because when you look at this, like Gary Trent Jr. averaged two assists last year. Like that's not good enough. When you're on the court with Fred Van Fleet and those other three players, you need to be as much about feeding them as you are about getting your own, right? So what, 35 minutes, averaging 18 points. So I can go one of two ways with this. And by the way, there's only so many mouths to feed, and we understand um, you have some dominant guys on the team who are going to be doing a lot of the scoring. But if I'm Gary Trent Jr., I got to be scoring 20-plus points a game with consistency, or I'd much rather you be a 15-point scorer and give me five and six assists a game, right? So there's this balance that you need to have there, and that's what I think Nick Nurse is going to try to accomplish over the course of the preseason as this one gets underway is – who are my who are my glue guys, right? And it's again why I bring up Banton because that's what he was referenced as being at the college level coming out. A guy that can do the things you need him to do and not worry about some of these other facets, like the outside scoring, like the consistency. And I like his defensive versatility as well. It's not a guy I'm gonna hang my hat on, but when you look at the rest of this roster and why I brought up Precious Achua earlier too, like I don't nobody excites me 
in the second unit to the extent where I go, oh my God, watch out, right? Malachi yeah. Flynn, Otto Porter, Chris Boucher, Precious Achua. Now, Precious Achua, I do like Precious Achua does get me excited for a very specific reason. But even Ken Burch, like all these guys, you know what they are. None of them have like this next level that you're going to scratch. And from that standpoint, there's a ceiling to what this team is beyond, okay, is Scotty Barnes taking that next seismic leap? Because I'm not entirely sure that OG has a next level. I think he can refine what his game is, but I don't think that there's this next level to him that we're going to unravel here. Scotty Barnes has it. Siakam is at the peak of his powers right now. And then Precious Achua. This is a guy that didn't take a single three-pointer when he was in Miami. He was looked like a physical guy. A guy was going, going and bang bodies. He's a little bit leaner playing for Toronto. He runs the floor at, good, at a good pace, and he knocks down a good percentage. He's over 35% last year on just north of two attempts from beyond the arc. If he can expand that a little bit, again, redundancies is what you want in the NBA from your starting unit to your second rotation where the team keeps getting dealt that same difficult hand to a slightly lesser talent level. And, and he's a guy that I think is poised to take maybe that next step and get a little bit more of a chunk here when it comes to a minute share. Okay. So we're going to do, we're going to get off of basketball for one second here All right. and I'm going to, we're going to do a little lesson if we can. Okay. You've now joined the Dean Blundell network. Yes. Right. That's what I heard. It's a rumor. And we, what we're going to do is, is we're going to, we're going to do a little bit of a, of a immaculation into, into Toronto and we're going to, we're going to bring you in. Okay. And I want you to really listen carefully how I say this. Okay. Toronto, 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 Toronto. And in, Tor in Toronto, Toronto, we don't, we don't Torontonians. We don't pronounce the second T Toronto. We, we say Toronto. Toronto. You know so the I'm problem gonna... is here. Here's a big issue. All right, I'm glad we yeah. took this time out because I'm also from New Jersey, so I have a whole other set of of you know linguistic layering that probably yeah. is inaccurate to other far-reaching far regions throughout the United States and the <laughs> world for that matter. So there's gonna there's gonna be hiccups, ladies and gentlemen. But let's so, let's let's not allow the fact that Toronto. You should always know that I'm here for you. Just so you know, New, the way you speak in Jersey is probably the most similar to how we speak in Toronto, right? Minus a couple little things. Because you have said things on a, a previous network we worked for, and I could tell that the dude we were, we were with had no idea what you were saying with the slang. But I got it because <laughs> right. we say it here. And we have, and I go on a show with guys from Boston and Buffalo, and I use Toronto Canadian slang, and they don't know what I'm saying, but you get it when I say it. Like, we're actually very, it's the, a lot of Italian here. Right, a lot of Italian and Jersey. A lot of that, yeah. a lot of that slang was all meshed together. I'm here for it. be 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 well traveled. That's what it's about, people. Yes. Yeah, be well, be well traveled. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna tell you that we don't. You, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna, you know, just bring you into the whole loop here. We don't say mm -hmm. Toronto. We say Toronto. You guys just say so T Town. You, know. you say T Town at all? You know? No T dot. Sometimes I, that was the thing when we were kids. You're I in like the T dot, but a lot of times I just say we're from the six. Right. It's just, it's with a 416. That's because we've adopted it. That was a very California thing, right? To talk about your area code. And uh, we've adopted it here. We're, but See, I now, find it big difference. Big difference. New Jersey does not adapt, adopt anything coming from California. That's, that's, <laughs> we don't do that. I just find the whole like United States has done that now. Like someone's like, yo, I'm from the 716. And I'm like, I had to ask them, like, what is that? They're like, Buffalo. And I'm like, well, who the hell <laughs> says they're from the 716? <laughs> like, that's who, right. who brags about that i love you bills mafia you know i love you i'm gonna start going full postal code when i reference where i'm from 
<laughs> I'm from the 08724 dash with the little additional numerics that come in there to d- identify down to county, region of the county, uh, subsect of that county. Anyway. I just love that you call it a postal code, not a zip code. I appreciate right. that. I'm old school. <laughs> Very Canadian. <laughs> the vibes are strong. What else? Uh, what else you got here? on? Yeah, the, I was going to say, let's transition in. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about the Boston Celtics. I don't want to hear Treat. about the Nets anymore. We know who the Nets are. We know how... Uh, to me, oh, like, hold on, hold on. Actually, um, maybe nobody cares about this because he's not on your team anymore. But we have a Toronto Raptor on our squad in Brooklyn, uh, in Yuta Watanabe. And I've quietly, I've quietly said for what the Brooklyn Nets need, he actually can be a very functional player for them potentially. Um, in in ten seconds or less, since we'll stay focused. Um, but but is Yuta Watanabe a player that you were even mildly disappointed to see not be a part of the team anymore? Yes. Do you, yeah. Yes, hundred percent. Because he's serviceable. He's exactly what you said. And he he can he can rotate around. You know what I mean? And that's what I really liked about him. He's a serviceable player that could rotate around. And um two years ago, last year, we went yeah, through we some bad a little, more, little chunk. Yeah. Yeah. We went through some bad injury issues and he kind of just plugged and played. And that's yep. that was to me that you 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 don't have again, not everybody has to be a superstar. Right. But I don't, when I look, that's my problem now. I look at this Raptors lineup and I'm like, <laughs> who's going to be the guy when the injuries come? Who's going to be the guy that can play two or three different positions? You know what I mean? In, in a pinch and, and rotate around. Um, who's going to, who's yeah. going to come off the bench, you know, in some weird Nick Nurse rotation because, you know, two guys are down. And we're going to talk about Fred Van Vliet a little later on in load management right? He's missed 55 games in three years. So uh, it's, you know, uh, and they always come down the stretch. They come at the worst times. So uh, yeah, no. So yeah, you have a serviceable player. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you go through injury problems, you got a guy who can rotate all around the court for you. That's and that's why it's so good. And just and we'll, we'll keep it broad in the NBA purposes. Like Yuta Watanabe, we understand ten to twelve minutes a game, et cetera. But players, he's just athletic enough. He's just good enough in transition. He's just good enough at rebounding. He has just enough of an outside shot that you go right. You can fill a gap. And any player like that across the NBA is what teams are trying to identify. To your point, whether it's load management or injury, at some point you're going to need a guy to fill a gap there. So players like that matter. So I'll be fascinated to see how that unfolds and, and how Toronto identifies those niches now, where it looks. Like they went a little more veteran heavy right trying to just secure that with some leadership maybe yeah no absolutely let's talk boston celtics though uh yeah. blake griffin is now a boston celtic uh, honestly a sentence i thought i'd never say like i never never thought i would be saying that sentence um you know him from his 17 minutes with uh with brooklyn <laughs> and uh what kind of impact is he going to make on boston boston a little bit of a train wreck right now with their head coach being suspended for the year and uh and all that but obviously you know you got to take care of the division we know what the nets are uh we finally got rid of lebron so they brought durant over you know just uh just, just to it, do it. it right yeah um and and now you know you've got the celtics team you've got the jays you've got you know this team and now you bring a guy like griffin who was he like a six-time all-star former first overall pick he's not gonna be you know he's probably gonna be 14 minutes at this point of his career, but he's a he guy that play. I mean, I'm going mean, to be honest with you. And, and then not that you're wrong to say 14 minutes, yeah. like Blake Griffin. I mean, you saw it in his first year, got him off the buyout market when he left Detroit, obviously comes in. He's not the guy leaping over Kia's, et cetera. Like the athleticism is not where it once was from going back to his LA Clipper days. Um, but, but we loved him in that first half season. 
he, he's changed his identity. He's willing to do some of those gritty things, right? He was the, you know, the hustle play. He'd get underneath guys' skins defensively. He's a big enough body to just be in front of a couple of dudes. So I think there's a physical presence to his game. Um, he had had some three-pointing touch when they first got him off the buyout market. That completely dumpstered the following year. I mean, he, he's just, he's older, right? So the tread on the tires is long. He's had injuries in his career, as we know. And right now, I mean, he's 33 years old, but if you look at the Boston Celtics bench and you think about coming in that second wave with Grant Williams, you have Al Horford in the starting lineup, Jason Tatum rotating up potentially. I mean, you can say that he's in that fourth kind of body range for the four or five and playing up a little bit. You're not going to be able to play him at the three, too much of a liability defensively, probably. And then offensively, again, he can rebound for you, but it's just... It's not the guy you're thinking. It's just, it's not, it's not Blake Griffin the way that fan, like he's a name now more than anything else. I think he can do some things for you, hustle plays, gritty plays, but that's about the extent of what you can rely on from him. Yeah. And I mean, we see this, and this happens in football more than basketball. We see this in the NFL a lot, though, where I say a guy's name carries more cachet than the play, yeah. the, the player that he is. You know, um, never be the to- guy, never be the team in the NFL who signs a name when you feel, oh, here's a good example. Julio the New York Jones. football Giants signed Kenny Galladay to a massive contract, and everyone's like, whoa, that seems shocking. See how that plays out more the often most ex- than not. Most expensive bench player in the, uh, in the world. But yeah, yeah, no. Um, but I look at like what Robert Williams is out for eight to twelve weeks, right? Luke Cornett sprained an ankle. Is he not the perfect stopgap until you get one or both those guys back? Yeah, and then that's like, so. That's more the point, right? If you needed, we call it, we always call it an innings eater. That's how we used to refer to him when he was in Brooklyn. Is the way you refer to guys that are going to play a little bit more during the regular season. And then you'll never see him in the postseason, right? So is Blake Griffin a part of a postseason rotation or a lot of these guys? No, right? The 11th, 12th, 13th guys on a roster, no. But you need bodies. And that's what Blake Griffin did for the Brooklyn Nets last year, specifically even over tough times before he ultimately uh, got buried on the bench with a ton of DNPs. Yes, he can come in, especially early in the season, run him out there for 20 minutes a game, and then you'll see him flatline. He'll need his time off, et cetera. You need to manage him. But – you need that. And I think that that's something that fans hate to hear about, especially like the first few weeks of the season, first month of the season. You're so excited. You want to see these wins. Why isn't this guy playing max minutes? Because there's 82 effing games, right? And we know where we're at in the NBA and every sport. There's load management. The, the postseason can go on <laughs> for months. So you really can't risk losing somebody, let alone when you come into a season already with injury concerns on your roster. So I, I think Boston's looking for a high character guy who can come in do a little bit of damage for you early and then slowly fade into the sunset. All right. I know I got to get you out of here. So I got one more question for you. Fred Van Vliet. Uh, I, I did. I know he's had injury problems, but he's missed 55 games in the last three seasons. And when I looked at when he missed those games, it was always down the stretch. And of course he missed the playoffs last year, which, you know, we Raptors really could have used him. There's been some conversation coming out. Nick Nurse hasn't said anything, but there's been some things floating out around the organization that they're going to look at managing Fred Van Vliet's minutes, his time, his game, his practices. Uh, we know Kawhi Leonard, right? He was kind of the the pioneer of load management. Um, but then the, I thought I saw a really great comparison: is Fred Van Vliet is kind of in the same state in a stage of his career where Kyle Lowry was when he was yeah. with the Raptors, and they're Listen, you're 
Toronto loves Fred Van Vliet. Toronto loves Kyle Lowry, who, by the way, most people look at as the greatest Raptor of all time. When you think about who's come through with Kawhi and VC and, you know, Chris Bosh, but Toronto loves their lunch pail guys, right? They love the guys that are going to take charge. Uh, Kyle Lowry, I mean, is, I think, the king of taking, uh, of, of drawing charging fouls. Yeah. He's going to get dirty. Oh, Blake Griffin, by the way. <laughs> He yes. had the most charges taken, I think, last year, even after he didn't play for 20 games in a row. They love those kind of guys, but they take beatings, and Fred's the same. He's a guy who's going to take a beating. Remember him during the playoffs, the, the broken nose and the black eyes and you know everything else, kid at home. and just When it comes to load management, do they have to load management? Is it smart from the load management? But I want you to try to get into the psyche of a Fred Van Vliet. How does a guy who's just like an uber competitor – how do they take the being like, hey, we're going to be managing your minutes and we're going to be managing the time that you play? Yeah, and not not to make a, a Brooklyn Nets comp. You can use any example you want, but you know, Kevin Durant's playing 35, 40 minutes a night when, when guys are injured over these last couple of seasons, when players are in and out of the lineup. And a lot of people would say, it's like, you know, Sean, uh, you know, Sean Mark, Steve Nash, you got to sit him down. You got to control him. No, if he's healthy, he wants to be playing. And especially a guy that had missed as much time as he had. Same thing. I mean, listen, Fred Van Fleet's a competitor. He wants to be out there. I think at a certain point, though, it should be somewhat easy if you're Nick Nurse or the organization to go to him and say, well, what, what's ultimately the goal here, Fred? Do you, do you want to be out there leading this team for 82 games or do you want to be leading them for 102 games? Do you want to be leading them for 115 games into the playoffs when it matters most? That's what we're trying to navigate here, right? So you have to be willing to let someone else do the lift. And by the way, we're telling you, we're willing maybe to sacrifice three or four wins in the regular season to make sure that we have you available for us when it matters most. So if Fred is about deep playoff runs and, and wanting to make that kind of push, it shouldn't be that hard of a sell while understanding your best approach is going to be, well, this is your night off, right? The hardest thing to do, I think for a head coach as well, is try to have a guy playing in a game, have that Fred Van Fleet really going off one night, knocking him down from the outside, setting up all the key players. And then at the 27 minute Marco, all right, that's it, right? It, 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 it's impossible to do that because then you see the win. The win is in front of you there. So I, you, you really shouldn't scoff at it. And I think if you're Van Fleet, if you're the Toronto Raptors, again, you're thin in the guard room. So it's a twofold, it's a twofold issue. You want to keep Fred Van Fleet healthy, but who is going to take on that role for you? Because he is so critical to this team and to their success. That's where hopefully Malachi Flynn shows that he's capable of that. And then you let him kind of carry some of that bigger load early on and let Fred build his way through this season. Is the NBA ahead of the curve when it comes to things like load management? Because you've seen it a little bit in baseball, but they play 162 games, so it's always kind of been built in there. But, like, you look at the NFL and you're starting to see more. Like, I saw the Bills practice report last week, and Stephon Diggs had a Veterans Day off, you know. Um, you're starting to see, you know, Tom Brady going home during training camp. You're seeing, you know, Brady doesn't practice on Wednesdays. Like, they have these sort of things. You didn't see that before in the NFL. You hardly ever see that in the NHL. You know, and it was really basketball who started this whole load management thing. Like, let's keep our star players healthy. Again, sacrifice a couple of games, knowing that we're going to make the playoffs and have them ready to go when the postseason comes. Is and But I know a lot of basketball fans hate it, right? And I get it. You pay big money. You go down to watch a Brooklyn Nets game. You spent, you know, $140 on tickets. And then Kevin Durant's in a suit or in, yeah. in street clothes on the side. I totally get it. But... I think I'd rather know I wasted money on tickets and watch and be at the parade 
you know, rather than, than anything else. But have they kind of evolutionized when it comes to keeping their players healthy? I think it's tricky because the NBA, a lot of that was a pushback on on back-to-backs and on the way the travel schedule was kind of set up because, and they've done studies on this, like air travel dramatically impacts recovery time and your ability to, you know, to take care of your body and let it heal from some of the little dings and dents you take over the course of an 82-game season. So I think this, this was a little bit of that, was pushing back on that and saying, okay, like these are the rigors you want to put us through over 82 games. We're going to manufacture ways to give our guys rest. The other thing is, too, I mean, NHL is just nails. Like, let, let's just you know clear that off the table. I don't know. I, load management is probably like a foreign language to the NHL at this point. And, and, and it's a different type of sport. It's so physical. We all get that. But, I mean, they're head-to-toe and padding. I, I don't know. I, I think the wear and tear is probably a little bit different in the NHL than in the NBA at a far lesser degree. And then NFL-wise, it's tricky. Because I think what you're seeing now in the NFL is like, yeah, load management. We want to nurse our guys through the preseason. And then guys get hamstring pulls. Like hamstrings is a product of conditioning. So it's really hard to walk that line. If you're Tom Brady, yeah, I'll show up on Sundays and I'll do my thing. But there's a spectrum there. And you can't – it's really hard to load manage players in a game because you have to put them out for a rep. Okay, you're going to go out for this series. But if they don't get touches, if they're not involved in the action – well, then they're empty reps. Do you increase that load now? What if the guy gets his bell rung? Obviously, now he's in protocols. What if he, What if Saquon Barkley runs physically for 31 carries? You probably want to give him off the next three weeks if you could, right? So th- the requirements of different sports to have success is so much different. The NH- NFL has to thread that needle. We have 17 games, right? You, you can sacrifice seven games in the NBA and not even remember it by the end of the season. You sacrifice one game in the NFL. That's playoffs or not making it, right? That's that's a key win and law or loss against a certain team. And I'll be fascinated to see how that evolves because they've talked about that with quarterbacks, right? They're like, are we getting to the place? Because we know we're another year away from two preseason games and 18 game schedule. That's all that this is. We're just nursing our way to that. Will there come a day when veteran quarterbacks, Tom Brady's Aaron Rodgers of the world, say that game against garbage team X, you better have a decent enough guy Aaron Rodgers has taken off weeks four and five, and we're going to see Jordan Love for two games, wins and losses. We'll live with that because we understand the wear and tear we're taking. Yeah. So I, I'm actually, just so you know, a proponent of getting rid of the preseason altogether. And what I watch. I get it. But then televised joint practices then. I think they get yeah, more. That, that feels, and that's what teams are. The, the teams are placing so much more value on that yeah. now because that's the reps. I 100% I agree with you. And, and the, the compete level is so much higher. Yeah. Like you see everybody kind of dogging it in preseason. Unless you're like, again, a fourth string guy who's fighting for a playoff spot or Saquon Barkley who misses a whole season who wants his touches so he can yeah. go. Where in, I mean, the fights and the this, that, the, the, I mean, the, the joint practices are, are, are uber competitive. You know what else? And I know we're, we're getting far afield, but the other thing that I, I don't, I do not understand. We saw how brutal with Tua and everything that went on there. They said that those weirdo looking turtle shells that they make guys wear in practices in the off season reduce concussion percentages by 10. Why isn't every offensive and defensive lineman at the minimum wearing those helmets in games? How do you identify something that helps? And then you're like, yeah, but for the times when we're not going full speed for when you're just kind of walking through the motions, like the NFL is always, a half a step behind being smart and always a half a step ahead of looking cool or like, you know, thinking that they're doing the branding thing as opposed to the functional thing, which by the way, probably keeps your best players on the field more often. So we do have to wrap this up, but I will say you and I sat on a live stream on a different 
platform and network years ago when Cam Newton tested positive for COVID and Jason McCourty went in front of the media and said the NFL and the NFLPA don't care about us, you know, and, and guys, I mean, the, the, the blowback talking about Tua, the blowback from current NFL players towards the Miami dolphins and, and towards this. And I wrote a piece about this and I feel for Tua. And the and the the dolphins forget what happened with the neuro. Everybody talks about the 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 you know the doctor and the neuro doctor. Tua Tango Viola joined the Miami Dolphins and was immediately told, "Hey, we're trying to you know," or was immediately just put into a position where Ryan Fitzpatrick had them in a playoff spot, and they're like, "Hey, we're gonna bench him for no reason and put you in the game, and you better keep this going." Then he plays like a rookie, gets benched, comes back in, gets benched, comes back in, blows the second last game of the season. He sucks. The Dolphins get knocked out of the playoffs. The next year, he's like, "Oh, we tried to bring Tom Brady, and we're gonna lose a first round draft pick because we were trying to replace you with a senior citizen." And oh, by the way, if we can't get Brady, we want to replace you with a sexual predator. You know what I mean? And and the coach is going to tell him that all the year. There was no way that Tua wasn't playing that game Thursday night. That of kid's course. been that kid's been looking over his shoulder since the moment he walked in that dressing room. And there was no way he wasn't going to play that game and, and put his own. Because I remember Matt Judon came out and said, you got to put your health above the game. And I was like, but Tua's never been in a position to do that because he's always looking over his shoulder for his replacement. But then that's what the problem is. It's like this impossible position. Like I get why I get why players are outraged and former players and and you know media pundits are all freaking out about it. And then but then you say, but well, they followed the right protocols in theory. And then you hear that like the baseline you set for your cognitive function, everyone lies about that, so it's lower. So when you go in for protocols, you know that you give yourself a lower baseline to be able to pass and get back out on the field. So it's like it is this push and pull, right? And then and you hear. Uh, Barkley just like was so complimented on Daniel Jones for get, getting back out there on an ankle was all banged up just to finish out the game. Everybody wants the guys to be out there and every player wants to be out there. And like, I, sorry, man, that's who a hit. And I'm, I'm as big of a fan of the NFL as anybody. And the same thing when it with Cam Newton and a few other instances over the last couple of years, when those hits happen, I do take a step. I, I take, I, there's always that pause where I go, what are we doing? This is the only sport that is literally life in your hands for, for the players that are involved. No other sport puts a, puts players in these type of, cir- type of circumstances, excuse me, where literally we saw the way Tua looked. We saw what his extremities were doing, right? He goes to the hospital and it all comes back that, you know, he's okay. He's moving his limbs and he's just going through the normal protocols. Okay, fine. That could have been paralyzed from the neck down, right? David Wilson years ago for the New York football giants, electric running back, retired after a neck injury where it was literally if he took one hit the wrong way it could kill him on the field he made the smart choice a difficult choice probably for him but but players are in an impossible spot even the league is in a hard spot too because effectively it's like saying do we change the entire construct of what it is to be an nfl organization relative to the success and maybe i don't know the 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 small instances when something this horrific occurs it's well i mean people like to say modern day gladiator as a brand, yeah. it's it's actually true. All you're missing is the lion, and yeah, and I, I know we got to go, but I I after that two ahead, I felt the same. I actually tweeted out that I don't even want to cover this league anymore, you know, and and I do cover the NFL, and it, it's you just yeah, I mean his fingers, his body, it just you just you felt you know what I mean. Like all you wished is I hope he's okay. Like yeah. I don't even care if he ever plays football again. I just like I hope he can live a normal life. 
Afterwards. Yeah, 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 but that, that's but that's what I mean. And there's there's a young player, and I'll forget his name. I'll feel bad about it. Who went to Rutgers and suffered a horrific injury, and he's been a real advocate um, for for people who are dealing with physical you know physical limitations due to ac- accidents and tragedies like that. He's in a wheelchair. He's aided you know by so many different things to keep him functioning and alive. And you're talking about guys that are the highest level of athletes and physical specimens in the entire world, and. This is what it looks like. I know. No, it's brutal, man. And like and I said, I'm as guilty of it as anyone. Uh, talked about it on, on the One Giant podcast. And then we said, and just like so many other people are going to do, we're going to talk about what we saw from the Giants game and how they try to get a win next week. You know, it, it, it's, I mean, it's human nature, but it's brutal. It's gross. Adam, thank you hey, so that much, that was man. fun. <laughs> Tell the people where they can find I, I, I'm glad we left it off on a high note. Yeah, I always say uh, leave them wanting more. Um, tell the people can, everywhere they can find you, buddy. You get me over on the One Giant podcast. We'll be taking a look ahead here, obviously, in week number five. The Giants go over to London, maybe without any quarterbacks on their roster. Speaking of concussions and protocols, uh, the Locked On Nets podcast preseason game number one is happening right now as we speak. So we'll be live over on YouTube covering that one. And then Adam Up Sports podcast. First full episode is going to drop tomorrow as well on DeanBlundell.com where I'll be dropping an article, taking a look at the league at large. What are some of the narratives we want to follow as we approach the regular season? And which are some of the teams that maybe missed the opportunity to really go all in this offseason and give themselves a chance to be at the top of the Western and Eastern Conference? Ladies and gentlemen, that was Adam Lombreich, who should be making a lot more money in this in this game, I tell you. And I don't just say it because he's here. When I I'm gonna I'm gonna get a little bit of inside baseball here. When I pitched Adam to the Dean Blundell Network, I said, "Dude, this guy should be working for ESPN, for Fox Sports, for somebody, one of the best broadcasters in the world." Adam, I always appreciate you. Guys, check out Adam's stuff tomorrow. Adam, a podcast. I'll be listening. DeanBlundell.com and at all the major podcast networks. You can find Ray Sports Rant on all the major podcast networks: Apple, Spotify, Google, DeanBlundell.com. You know it is follow the new youtube channel ray route as i told you guys in the next two to three weeks i'll be leaving my current youtube channel who's got next um can't tell you why yet but dean's leaving twitter you can start putting things together guys if you start you know if you start putting a little bit of logic behind it ray's leaving his youtube channel dean's leaving leaving twitter i mean it's come on anyways we appreciate y'all uh make sure you tune in double dose make sure uh, you listen to this if you if you're done with this podcast and you haven't listened to the first one with Victoria, Double Dose Today, go listen to that. It was a great, great conversation. As always, Adam, we'll see you next week, buddy. Everybody else, you're all legit, kid. Hey, listeners. I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster. And not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100%. Because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth.